Good evening and welcome to the Obelisk. Tonight's guest is Aurora. Aurora creates music, art, and teaches about a shape called the Flying Rainbow Lasagna, which is a genetic portal and represents a higher dimension of possibilities. It is a shape that a person can embody on a genetic level and in so doing gain greater degrees of personal freedom in terms of consciously creating the world around them, including greater body health and intentionally navigating timelines. Aurora, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here, Jerry. Oh, it is a great pleasure to have you here, Aurora. And I am definitely looking forward to getting into the content you bring forward and have brought forward to the collective. This is feel good stuff in a way that brings us uh, possibilities of this universe and how things are unraveling. And we need more of this kind of messaging. Thank you for that. It's all about possibilities and probabilities and a greater understanding of exactly how time works, dimensionality works, and um, direct, I wouldn't say mechanisms, but let's say the pathways for manifesting creations. Tell it, sister. (laughs) (laughs) Right there, I got some chills. (laughs) So what's the, fill us in on your background, especially this, um, as Jared mentioned in the the pre-chat, that you are a walk-in. That's right. Yes. So I didn't eat when I, so I came here into this body and into this realm in 2001. It was actually October 8th of 2001. So that's like my, my walk-in birthday. And, um, you know, when I first came here, I didn't even have the language to describe my experience or the word walk-in. And uh, I had, I would introduce myself as a dead person, and that is definitely not a way to make friends in society. <laughs> no, um, you're so right up I, my alley. <laughs> you know, I didn't. I didn't. It's a steep learning curve. I did. I'm very much a stranger in a strange land or a cultural outsider. I didn't know how to interact. I'm like a foreigner. I didn't know how to interact with people, um, describe my my experience or anything like that for several years, really, until I got a friend of mine gave me a book called ET 101, The Handbook. And it's a little paperback kind of spiral bound in informal book. But I felt like, oh, like I've been here for three years and somebody finally gave me the handbook for the the ground crew here. And it had several different terms in there because my friend said, I think you're a walk-in. And when I read that description, I said, okay, like that's a pretty good description. So I've been using that for many years. And at this point I describe myself as a galactic walk-in just to qualify exactly who I am and what I am and where I came from. I am first, so I'm Aurora. And that's different than the original ego presence that lived in this body for the first 27 years. The body had an actual metabolic physical death. And that moment was the moment on, on October 8th of me, Aurora, being able to come in. And I am, ordin- not ordinarily, but when I'm not in a container like this type of experience, I am a waveform a waveform like a pure abstraction, a frequency being, a pure light being of consciousness that does not usually have a physicality or biological somatic cellular presence. And that's, I I have done the whole journey of having a biological cellular presence, going through the transformative process into being more of a less dense light being, and then eventually becoming part of a collective. So when I first came here again on my journey, and I would say to people, well, I'm not from here, I'm 
from another world or I'm from out there, people would very much go into ET phone home. They would say like, point to the sky, tell me where you're from. And I would say to them, it's not that simple. Like I had a lot of difficulties integrating my truth with the human mind collective here because the human mind collective here is very linear and it's very about the experience, the worldview of being what it's like when you're submerged in reality or in the reality of time, space, and dimensionality. And I come from a reality that is outside of or beyond the, the perspective of time, space, and dimensionality. So I come from a collective of consciousnesses. And when I would tell people that, then they would say, oh, you come from the Borg, because that's from Star Trek. And I didn't even know Star Trek. So then I had to learn that show in order to be like, oh, no, 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 everybody, no. I'm not anything like that. That's not what it's like. So there is an actual grouping of consciousnesses, like a multifaceted being that is made of pure frequency or pure light that is called Aurora, or you could call it the Aurora Collective, or you could think of it as, you know, just in the same way a symphony is made up of many unique individual in instruments that all come together in a harmonic waveform to create the music of the symphony. That's what my collective is like. Many formerly individuated consciousnesses that have been on their unique individuated trajectory, but that are now harmonically integrated in the same way that your body has organs that all work and integrate together, you know, your heart and your liver and your skin and everything else integrates together. That's the same way that my collective is. And my collective is comprised of, let's say, stellar individuals from a variety of origins. It's not just a person, everybody coming from Earth or everybody coming from another star system or another planetary system or however you, you view um, uh, you know, the, the structure of the cosmos. It's a, um, a blending of beings that are all exemplary, that are all virtuosos, like the best of the best, but from a variety of different places and time places too. So we're outside of time, we're outside of dimensionality. It's a nonlinear experience, but just imagine a symphony that is made of the best musicians from all over, everywhere and every when, and all different types of consciousnesses too. Uh, like some might've been gaseous bodies, some might've been physical cellular bodies, but now in the form of this harmonic waveform. So my origin of, and my quality of life and what I'm used to at that level of being is a very different level of being than being individuated here in this body form. And what my collective does is we travel from star system to star system the way that a neural signal travels from neuron to neuron. So we bounce from star to star on this whole network of consciousness that is part of a larger brain. We're like a thought that moves up within this larger brain. And it's not just a sightseeing tour. It's a very purposeful movement in the same way that neural signals in your own brain have a purposeful, purposeful movement that we are part of a larger thought process on a much, much grander scale in terms of both time and space. And mostly what my collective does is moving from place to place. Sometimes it's art projects like just peace and beauty and things like that. But peace and beauty are often intertwined with the concept of rectification, that there is dysfunction or something that is um, in need of assistance or in need of rectification. And that we go to that place and either learn something, give something, do something, like have a, pur a purposeful, meaningful impact on that situation that gives us 
accrued wisdom, like emotional energy, and that emotional energy then becomes the, you know, quote unquote, rocket fuel to then travel to the next situation. So each, and, and it's a learning journey that we've been on for a, 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 an endless amount of time, not endless, but a, count, a countless amount of time. It's so high that we couldn't count it with our neurology here but a very, very long time. So I've been traveling in that sense. And I made a very spontaneous momentary decision when I saw what was happening in the death of this particular human female's body. The circumstances of it were very unfair. They were intertwined with cosmic principles of cosmic law. So that's what my Aurora Collective is very much about, like let's say cosmic law enforcement. I don't know if you could call us cops or something like that, because like that has a different connotation here on earth. It's not necessarily about violence, but definitely about law enforcement and doing the right thing. Jerry, I don't know if you have something to say something on, on that topic. I, I do, but I'll let you finish your thought. Okay, so yeah, uh, I saw something that I found to be very illegal in terms of cosmic law. And I'm, I'm like a law enforcement. I'm also like a teacher or um, uh, um, you know, a, a person who is very much about uh, enforcing and it being an example of the law. And I said, that thing that is going on there is not fair. It is not right. It was not just a regular death where a person is like stabbed with a knife or shot with a gun or dies of a heart attack. It was an erasure of her DNA signature, her soul signature. It is something that was being done with a type of technology, but you could also describe it as like a dark magic, you know, uh, uh, and, and you could also use Arthur C. Clarke's definition of what magic is, that any sufficiently sophisticated form of technology can, that you don't understand can be defined as quote unquote magic, a uh, very high form of technology, but not so high as to really understand the consequences of when you begin to have an impact on DNA on an individual's DNA. It's like a thread in a giant genetic sweater or a giant tapestry that is woven across time and dimensionality. And if you start to affect that one thread, if you cut it and you cut all these other things, then the entire tapestry starts to fray and lose its, um, its integrity. And then the entire sweater, all of these loops pull apart. And this was a very crucial moment in terms of seeing what was happening like a node of time or a crossing point of time, seeing something that was going wrong. And then I made a very personal, spontaneous moment to moment choice of I'm going to go there into that body and do something. And the portal through which I came into this body is called the flying rainbow lasagna. And I in spontaneously invented it or created it in that moment for that purpose. And I didn't just come on my own, like, let's say like your, your pinky finger breaking off from the rest of the, your beingness and you're going on its own journey and going, going up to earth on its own journey. I really came as the distillation, if you could imagine like a funnel with me at the funnel point of all of my entire collective con star consciousness into this body, into this form. That's why I'm named Aurora. So I'm an individuated presence here. And I'm also concurrently at the same time, still connected, still hooked up to my collective, not abandoned, not alone at all. And through quantum entanglement or a sense of non-locality, they know everything in real time that I'm experiencing here, that I don't even have to like write a letter home and then send <laughs> it and it takes, you know, five minutes or an hour or however long to beam that message home. Like they know in real time what's happening with me and I get a ton of support from them in terms of energy support 
love, pure, pure tone of unconditional love, help with my events and my circumstances that are here because I'm definitely on, on a rough gig, on a, on a difficult assignment that people ask me, they're like, did you know how hard it would be? I'm like, no, I had no idea how hard it would be, what it would be like, what I did not know what I was diving into. Yeah, join and the club. That's, well, that's it. <laughs> I have so much solidarity when I have um, confessed, quote unquote, to humans. And I'm like, I don't understand it here. They're like, well, guess what? We don't understand it either. I'm like, I didn't know what I was getting into. They're like, like you, Jerry, guess what? We didn't either. So in many ways, I am here in solidarity with the everyone who would, let's say you're a native. If I am a foreigner or a newcomer, you are natives, there is no better or worse, but we'd certainly just have different trajectories. And yes, it's been a steep learning curve to understand linguistic structure, social structure, um, social perception, all these different things so that I can help to portray things accurately and do my job here. Cool. So the, the two things I wanted to, to bring up where you're talking about the, uh, uh, the sweater untangling with DNA made me think of it, it, the idea that DNA is, is multidimensional. It's not just a physical thing. It has uh, etheric layers or energetic layers that we don't perceive. So that's that, that in my mind is how quantum entanglement works to some degree through DNA's energetic side. And just wanted your thoughts on that. But more importantly, I was thinking about cosmic law and you being here and what's going on in the world right now can't really be, you know, accordance with cosmic law. I would love to speak to both of those two points. So yeah. the first idea is that DNA, first of all, is a behavioral presence, more than even just something that is a static object or a mere carrier of physical characteristics within the physical body, like eye color, hair color, body height. It is, uh, I, I use the example now because of cryptocurrency, it's like blockchain but I want you to know that it's a very natural form of this type of long-term energy transfer between multiple generations. But basically any transaction that happens on the blockchain, every time you do a new transaction, you're getting that information passed along. And DNA is the same thing. We are, we are like um, carriers of information because we have that in our body. We are processors in terms of the RAM, the random access memory of an enormous processing system. Again, we're organic computers. I don't mean to portray us as like simplistic machines in any way. Um, we're very miraculous or supernatural in that sense. And that DNA is, has behavior and it is both a transmitter and a receiver. So it's a transceiver type of antenna. And the DNA of here now that you are using is absolutely affecting and affected by everything else that has come before you and is also radiating forward into the future. So what you do to your own body or do with your own body is incredibly powerful as a presence in the world. And that's the short answer as to why am I even here? Because there are certain things that I could not accomplish as a mere waveform without the actual physical antenna structure of being here and owning DNA. Like it is, I want to affirm to anyone who has a physical body and you're listening to this podcast, congratulations. Like you own very valuable real estate, quote unquote, in the cosmos. Yes. You have a physicality 
and your, your physicality has biology and cells and life force energy and this DNA connection, that means that you are like the owner operator of um, a very, very unique and valuable, I don't even want to call you hardware, because all these things I think are just a little bit dim diminishing in terms of your, your structure, you're like a beautiful antique or a masterpiece of art. Wetware, wetware. That, that's, you know, a, a valuable word to use. <laughs> I just want you to know that what, cause so many people are maybe down on their bodies, especially if they have discomforts or diseases. I want you to know that having a physical body, even though it can be difficult, like the body hygiene and body maintenance and having diseases and buying toilet paper and all these different things. Um, but the, the fact that you have DNA, basically DNA is a connection to time. It is a direct connection to the manifestation of events in time. And I mentioned that DNA has behavior. It's not just a piece of yarn, like it's often shown in the science picture, you know, it looks like a wrapped up piece of yarn or an X-shaped chromosome. It's a string that vibrates and the vibrations have different movements to them. I make, it's a podcast, I know, so it's audio, but I'm making these arabesque movements with my hands that it has beautiful, graceful, gracious dance movements that are very much about waveforms in time, time structures, weaving it with DNA, it splices itself together, it cuts itself apart, it twists itself into beautiful knots, it crochets itself together, it uncrochets itself. All of these behaviors have not only an effect that's right now in this time and place, it's called epigenetics, which is basically you can have either a dormant potentiality for either disease or health, or an active potentiality dependent upon how closely methylated or curled up your DNA is. Like your DNA is like a scroll, like an ancient papyrus or, or you know, some kind of a scroll that holds information. And if it's tightly scrolled up, then you can't read what's inside of it. But if you unroll the scroll, then your RNA messengers can read what's inside of it. And so this rolling up or unrolling of various different portions of your DNA has everything to do with your present life experience. That's just in the sense of physical characteristics on a more time-centered, esoteric, pure energy consciousness level, DNA and the way that it vibrates and dances, it's very much like a music, a musical instrument. This is like your genetic piano. And when you yes. play your genetic piano, that is what propels you through time. So whatever, we've been doing this podcast for 20 minutes or so, and every moment at the plank length, we are jumping through time, but we don't have to sit here and be like, synchronize watches, everyone, ready, 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 okay, jump. Like we are doing <laughs> this in this very natural flowing sense. It seems to be just like a fish swimming through water. It's our most natural way of being. However, that's our virtuosity. That's our expertise. And if you can become, um, like I know we're casual and unstudied about it, but if you can become really conscious about it, like I am moving through time, I'm jumping from this moment to this moment, you can even begin to direct your your uh which time stream you're in you can begin to move time streams consciously like i want to jump towards a particular event or even when you become a real virtuoso you're not just playing the score of mozart or what some some other um great composer has written you begin to extemporaneize uh, you know, spontaneously jazz and create your own compositions in the moment so that's also your right your righteousness your opportunity at having a genetic vehicle, like having a body that you get to say, I'm in time, I'm affecting time, I'm being affected by time. And I can even, when I get good enough, cause I have to stress, like you have to really learn your musical formalism in order to create beautiful, harmonically perfect 
creations. Um, when you get good at it, you get to jazz and create new things. And that's always integrated within the larger meta context of events that are already happening. So all of the things that I'm creating, like even the concept of the flying rainbow lasagna and the emanations of flying rainbow lasagna, I have to do them within the previously established context of cosmic law, because otherwise it's like um, you're doing the math problem wrong. That to do a math problem, you have to make sure we're well, like one plus one equals two, that's, a, that's the truth. If A plus B equals C and C equals D, like all of these if thens of like math proofs, if all of these things are true, then we have to find a solution that doesn't come into conflict with any of these other previously established cosmic laws. So this flying rainbow lasagna and the work that I do with it, it's um, impeccable or correct in the sense of fitting harmonically in, within all of those truths, which is very challenging. It's like literally like there's a spontaneous jazz symphony that's going on across multi-dimensional timelines. And for you to make your own spontaneous movement, that's a lot of other things to take, many, many factors. When I talk about RAM, random access memory and the processing power of a particular computer, you have to be able to make enormous calculations on the fly in the moment. And it is beyond the mere cognitive capacity of this organic computer within one skull. It's the type of flow state or larger cognitive processing ability that happens when you tap into the entirety of the stars, the entirety of, it's a network of light, like photons are intelligent. You tap into that whole entire thing and then you're able to tell beyond the level of ego and verbalization, oh, th this, is, this is what's happening right now and this is what I need to do in the moment in order to integrate all of those things. So that level of men mentality and co cognitive ability and cognitive um, integration is at a very different level than I'm at when I'm here in a physicality body, but I do jumping back and forth between these two states. So sometimes I'm here in my physicality body and I use my organic computer that is this size and I think thoughts that are the appropriate size for who and what I am and what I'm doing here. And then sometimes I get, I jump into my larger cognitive capacity that is like the entire stellar network. It's like a giant supercomputer and it's made for making enormously complex calculations that have to do with integrating these dance movements through time into what's already going on so so do you no i get it i understand what you're saying i just i'm curious i'm kind of a curiosity question is uh your your consciousness exists in both places but you are only focused on in one place at one time or are you at both or is it hard to explain I spin a lot of plates at the same time. So I'm mm -hmm. kind of bringing my hands together and folding them together, like, you know, palms to palms. I live two concurrent lives. So I live this life that is uh, embodied life where I do the things that people do here in terms of, you know, going to the grocery store and buying food and preparing it and washing dishes and all of those linear activities, like a linear activity. First mm -hmm. this, then this, then this, then the activity is done. And at the same time, I'm vibrating in and out of reality. I'm connecting to that larger stellar network and I'm performing activities that are completely non-linear. And I devote a portion of my day every day to doing this non-linear time-based dance that is called the flying rainbow lasagna when that's 
all that I have to do. And I'm like, you know something that is the easiest, most fun, coolest part of my day that I feel like I am totally in my element. I'm like, oh my goodness, the challenging things are learning how to have a bank account and learning how the washing machine works <laughs> and learning all these yes. things. I had to learn all of these skills to be here. Um, the other stuff for me comes much more easily. It's just like whatever, like if you're Mozart, like playing the sonata is easy, but then, you know, organizing the finances and doing the dishes, that's the hard part. So um, yeah, so it's, but it's a concurrent reality. And I often, um, I have f funny experiences. Like one time I was in a grocery store and some, a very perceptive woman walked right up to me and she says, you know, you are dancing through everybody's DNA while you're here shopping. She actually could see with her inner vision what I was doing. And I was like, wow, like, I can't believe that you're, you're right. <laughs> and yes, I'm here buying toilet paper while I'm dancing through everybody's DNA. Um, that, and that's my life. That's how, you know, bizarre my life is. This is amazing. I have I have a question. I want to yeah. not get too far away from it. I, and I want to get back to the cosmic my cosmic law question too, which she's yeah, doing. Good. Do you want to go first, Jar? No, go for it. I wanted to just because we're getting kind of far away from this, but 2001 is a very significant checkpoint. Yeah. And I wanted to, and also uh, the vessel that you're in, the holy temple you're in, is uh, was 27 at that time when you when you came in, this is very significant, Aurora, and I'd like you to address this more. I believe a big, a big shift happened in 2001. And then you stepping in at that time at the, uh, having that vessel at that age is very significant. What can you address to further that? Such perceptive questions in the individuated life sense of the woman's life that I walked into and became a part of. 27 is a very significant age. It's Saturn's return age. It's the age when so many people who were, uh, you know, well-known musicians or other people um, died or had some kind of either suicide or questionable death. And I think that it is a time when um, you can't call it like smackdown from the cosmos. You know, it's not like that at all, but let's say a very challenging you are challenged. There's a doorway that you're challenged and to see if you're on your right life path or you're not on your right life path. And uh, the person whose life I came into, and we can talk about her name. Her name is Debbie. She was a good person. Like I, I don't ever mean to ignore or, you know, diminish her presence or whatever, but I'm just a different person than her. And, and people always ask me too, like, is she alive? So is she, is she on a cloud? If she, where she's like, no, like she was erased as a soul signature. And that's part of the problem is that something very wrong was happening in that moment. Um, I feel that she was a very good person who had a ton of life potential, but just hadn't um, explored it yet. And that was not really, she was not really in total alignment with her life path. And that Saturn returns is about that. Like if you are at, off your path, then I think you like, you hit a wall or go over a cliff or something happens. But I also think that uh, many different factors in her life were keeping her off of a path that would have been otherwise a very natural unfoldment in her life. So I think that it was many circumstances that were outside of her control. And many of those circumstances were cosmic and involved in dark magic again. And the dark magic is intergenerational going back through family lineages, and it's the same dark magic that created the circumstances of 9-11 of 2001. So the, the circumstances of 9-11, I mean, now it's 20 years later. So if anyone is a young person or if they're unfamiliar with the events, there was like a rent, a rent uh, tearing 
of the fabric of space-time continuum that happened on September 11th with the, yes. the destruction of the Twin Towers in New York City. That was a very cosmically significant event. Like similar to the idea, like when Hiroshima happened, the dropping of the bombs there, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not that just that a lot of people were killed. The activity actually created dimensional portals. Right. It's a similar type of tearing that happened with the Twin Towers and the the people that died in the actual towers. It's like um, an epicenter with time reverberations spreading outward in concentric ripples. And I came in less than a month after that on October 8th. And part of me coming in was into that turmoil or the perturb- the time perturbations that were created by that disruption on September 11th. And that's also part of the sacrifice of Debbie. She was basically being sacrificed and sacrifices can happen sometimes on an altar with an actual knife. But this one was happening with what, now I have the linguistic terminology to say a directed energy weapon. But back then I didn't have the way to be able to say that. It was a non-local attack that you can have energy beamed at a person that not only has um, effects on their brain, like microwaving their brain or um, giving them a stroke or an aneurysm or something like that. And also PS, this is this life and this person and this person who died, not the only person that this has ever happened to. There are many, many people who have had, um, they had amazing potentials that were cut down because these dark forces, they basically are able to see timelines and they can tell, oh, if there's a particular life that life is going to have an, a great impact. But if we cut them off at this age here or cut them off at this time node here, it, it has a causality effect. That thing can never happen. So they do the, all of this like amputations through time where they try to kill people or stop their lives or derail their lives as a way of uh, harming the, the time, time field and intentionally disrupting the functionality of the genetic sweater of time itself. So yeah, I would say that this woman had an incredible amount of potential that hadn't yet been achieved in her life. And that was like, oh, time to cut that time thread. And then that potential will never be realized. And my rectification event was in coming here into this body, kept the body alive. I did a ton of healing on the neurology of the body. And I took up the mantle of a lot of the things that she would have done if she had had the time to be able to do it, but but couldn't. But of course I've done that in my own flavor. So in terms of fulfilling fine art and music and teaching and uplift of humanity, I do it all from my own cosmic presence. But if she had been alive, she would have done similar things. But I use as the example, like there was a, a, a young woman, I think maybe like 12 years old. And I think she was from India, the subcontinent. And she was a really um, genius child computer programmer. And she died of like a brain aneurysm or some kind of cerebral hemorrhage in her sleep very suddenly one night, the parents were devastated. And that when I read that story and I get the chills talking about it, I knew like that's another example of a similar life with potential that was cut like with scissors, that that woman would have done amazing things if she had grown to adulthood and had that life had amazing potential. And then something came along and you know, beam something into her brain that created this artificial, um, you know, brain injury and death. So yeah, so there's I artificial brain injury, but it was a anoxic brain injury and also like a kind of like a microwave, like um, 
like a melting or a neurological overload, melting of certain aspects of the brain. So for me to be here and to be walking, talking, active, and not be a vegetable or not have one side of my body paralyzed, that took a lot of um, um, augmentation and, and special things. Jerry, I can tell that you want to break in and say something. I, I just I want to hear more about this evil adjustment bureau. Yeah, what a good cultural <laughs> shorthand. Excellent. <laughs> As I do know that movie. And, and my, um, my question mainly is, yeah. I, I assume it's non-human. So it's not human. However, it has human, human representatives. Of course, of course, because it's any time that there's power, there are power seekers. Mm -hmm. So even if it is a non-human, extraterrestrial or interdimensional or astral um, uh, level of civilization, um, there are always going to be humans, or I won't say always in that predictive state. I will say it is likely that there are humans in multiple circumstances who are like, hey, I noticed that you're powerful and I want to be a part of your, your power structure because they are power seekers who don't necessarily have integrity. And they, uh, they're like, yeah, I, like, you want to be on a winning team, right? Like, hey, like you guys can clearly get, you can get stuff done. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And um, whether that has in integrity on a cosmic law level or not, they want to do that. So this is very much a balance of forces, as you described very beautifully, cultural shorthand, evil adjustment bureau. Then there's also the good adjustment bureau, time cops. That's a lot more of what I am like and what my collective is like, setting things right, jump, jumping from time to time, setting things right. Um, it, it's a, not a battle, but let's say a dualistic struggle between forces. But then in the end, you find out that there is no duality, that it is all one, one, hand, one being with two hands shaking its own hand. But that's when you get to a really, really, really cosmic perspective. So in the real friction of it, you must recognize that there's, there's different agendas. I know you have a follow-up question. No, I was just turning my mic back on. I keep it off. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so, no, I was going to say, yeah, there, there, a balance must be maintained. Completely. And you and need both sides not, for them. The not synergy. just spaces. That, I mean, we're talking, we want to maintain the existence of the cosmos, that things go out of balance, cosmos does not exist, but also we don't just want stasis. There has to be movement going forward right. or developmental growth, and otherwise yes. it's just endless suffering. So the idea is that through this gushing kind of quality of like, this thing does this, and this thing does this, and then this bounces through time in this way, and this bounces through time this way, um, that all of these bouncing events and um, our, uh, acrobatics in time and in consciousness that they do end up having, like now I'm bringing all of my fingers together and kind of like the church steeple. They do have a crescendo, a culmination and a coming together, like a canceling out of forces, but then also a, um, a re-expansion from that moment that there's this expansion, craziness, it might look like chaos, but then it all does come back into a neutral or a zero point, but then it all does expand outward from there and that there is change and shifting so it's a recognition of everybody playing their role because i'm i try to be non-judgmental in the way that i'm describing this but also understand that those efforts to be non-judgmental i do not condone 
certain activities that I consider to be against the law that are extremely, not just naughty, not just bad or wicked, but that they are harmful to the, to the meta circumstances, to mm -hmm. the living time field itself. Yes. That if you destroy that, it's like, if you live within an animal presence, why in the world would you want that animal to die? You wouldn't, you would want to maintain that time is like a living being. If you live within time, you don't want the whole entirety to just collapse because you have created it so out of balance. So the, you you are destroying yourself or, or self-sabotaging if you're like yes i'm going to do well because once you start playing with time and timelines and uh you know there's so many good tv shows and movies about this too because that's like i like to find cultural shorthand to fringe fringe is a good yes. one fringe is excellent there was also a foreign show on netflix called dark oh dark's was, awesome yeah <laughs> yes and really good soundtrack too the idea of you're creating time perturbations that then come around and slap you in your own ass mm -hmm. and then oh like i just did that to myself and now i have to go through time make a new time loop and try to make a new time machine and find try to find a way to figure this out and that is very much what these different competing forces are like the evil adjustment bureau and the idea of trying to set blockades in time or in inhibitory forces and then the rectification forces and then it, all of this must be done with higher dimensional perception that if you can't actually see just like a car if you can't see through the windshield you don't know where you're going if you cannot see and perceive and anticipate the repercussions of your activities in time, then you're absolutely flying blind. And then it, it's just, it's easy to just, you know, screw yourself or whatever, screw things up and then it bounces back through, you hit, you shoot a bullet, but it ends up hitting yourself in the back <laughs> of your own head. So all of this- It's like a Clinton suicide. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> shot himself twice in the back of the head. Exactly. <laughs> Um, that's also a reference to Einstein with the idea of like a, cir a circular or like a, a, yep. a folded yep. universe that if you shoot a bullet and it goes far enough that eventually it would come back and it hit right. you in the back of the head. That's what time is like. So all, and, and these are all great lessons too, that there's real wisdom in what we're going through. Like in that show Dark, there ends up being real wisdom of like, you know, the old woman cuts the young woman's face and the old woman has the scar. And she's like, yeah, that's that moment that I cut myself and I gave myself that scar. That we are ending up self-sabotaging and doing all these things. And that the real healing is understanding like, wait, I'm being self-destructive through massive events across time. And it can be something so massive. Yes. It can be like the destruction of Mars. And then everything from Mars came to earth and became integrated in part of Earth's culture and genetic history. And now we're doing fractal recreations of the things that happened on Mars. Like you can keep doing fractal smaller experiences. And then, then it gets reflected in the experience of like you versus your boss or you versus your spouse or any of those things. You can do that ad nauseum until you're just over it. And then at a certain point be like, wait, time to heal the negativity, time to end these causative factors. And it's always love. And the love is not necessarily romantic partnership. Like you don't have to marry your enemy or something like that. It's more like the unconditional love of self where you recognize that it is all your own wisdom and your own learning. And you decide to move beyond violences and sabotages and, and the idea of judgment and like, oh, well now you've done this to me. So therefore you will burn in purgatory forever. And I'm being facetious in case anybody doesn't can't, can't read my facial expression or my verbal expression. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we're not Very into the we're not into the religion too much here. 
Uh, I have a I have a question here as far as um, celestial events that we experience. So in this trajectory from 2017 to 2024 with these uh, certain set of eclipses that are going on, and in particular, this last one, that was a six hour long one, a very uh, unique eclipse. What do you what's your perspective on this kind of event? Great question. Those are all portals. And the portals are incremental genetic and timeline shifts. So now I'm kind of like moving my hand like I'm like, uh, you know, um, cutting, cutting cards as I move across the screen or like a, a ship that is turning at sea. Can't make a giant ship like a cruise liner turn at 90 degree angles. It turns incrementally. So all of these um, prescient dates, uh, eclipses and astronomical alignments and also astrological alignments. These are all mathematical calculations, like your DNA is blockchain that's doing a lot of complex RAM calculations. Same thing with the stars and the star systems. Everything is this beautiful, I won't call it a clockwork or a me near mechanism. It just read my mind. <laughs> 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 so that's exactly how I think of it as a clockwork and things shift into certain positions at which opens gates or portals or whatever Absolutely. and energy flows through however it goes when certain alignments happen. That's Ma true. Like it is very much like um, uh, windows that then um, come together for a moment and you have yeah. like a tunnel that's a line of sight tunnel. That's right. We're putting like fingers and circles yeah. together to show the light being able to come through. There are moments of opportunity or cusps or mm -hmm. nodes of opportunity. And so that's very truthful. It's just like saying, if you want to plant a seed, like you plant a seed in the spring or the summer when it's the time to plant, you can't do it in the middle of the winter. It's just not the right time. So with certain events or potentialities or the opportunity to travel between dimensional realms, it doesn't matter how much you want to do it at certain times. It just, there might not be the, uh, the contextual opportunities for you to be able to do it unless you do something that is initiatory, like flying rainbow lasagna can initiate a folding of time, space, and consciousness, or some people have the potential to be able to initiate the creation of a portal. But again, this is a virtuoso type of a thing that you have to learn how to do and do it properly. If you open portals, you then have to close portals because you don't just want a ton of dimensional bleed through. So when some, sometimes there are experiments, um, witting or unwitting, like what has been done with genetic materials in this world by scientists who are largely blind and don't know what the F they're doing, and also atomic materials, both genetics and atomics, like nuclear experiments, um, and um, uh, what's the other word, particle colliders, huge magnetism. These things all create portals. And if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what you're opening, you don't know what you're closing and when, then it becomes um, just an exercise in not, not only futility, like an exercise in self-sabotage that, you know, there were unwitting portals that were created on Mars by equipment that was there an uncountable number of years ago. And then that led to the exter exter extermination of what was there. And now we're here and there's a blending of consciousnesses. And now some of those same people are like, let's make a particle collider. We don't know what it's going to do, but let's get <laughs> up with it. And it's like, it, that's a lot of trial and error. So I just want to tell everyone, like, if you want to do trial and error, first of all, there's a lot of collateral damage or fallout if you don't know what you're doing. And second of all, don't 
make risks of things that you don't know how to pick up the pieces. Like if you don't know how to glue all the shards together, don't break the priceless porcelain vase because yes. there's no way to get back to what it once was. So well, and then I we mean, look at Wabi Sabi, the art yeah, of putting right. back together. Perfect. Perfect. Jerry, that, that's a good segue into what you were asking about the state of the world right now. Okay, go for it. Because what we're looking at right now is an ongoing genetic experiment with humans being injected with various different substances that genetically modify them. First, we had scientists here in this time place making a lot of genetically modified organisms. So that started around 2006. And again, when I came here as a walk-in, I didn't know that that was going to be a part of this world. I actually thought that my assignment would be up in 2003. And I was like, ready to hit, hitch up my suspenders. Like, hooray, like I'm done feeling prideful, ready to zoom on out of here. And I'm also adopting the rube-like hayseed um, accent, if I can pull that off. But yeah, no, my suspenders were not. <laughs> hitched up and it was not mission accomplished. And so I was still here and I started to learn, a friend of mine gave me a video about genetically modified organisms. I had no idea that they were doing this with the food supply. I had like, everything is an education for me. I didn't know about this. And then once I found out about that, first of all, the very first thing I did was stop eating corn and corn syrup. And then I learned more about how it's affecting the environment on a direct level in terms of like monarch butterflies and there's huge monocropping across the central United States of just genetically modified corn. And it's along migratory paths of one particular insect, the monarch butterfly, where there is no milkweed, there's nothing for it to eat. It has to fly for many hundreds of miles without being able to find anything except this corn that has a pollen that has been genetically modified and has this BT in it that is a, it's actually a naturally occurring uh, pesticide, but it's not natural for it to be in corn. It basically it affects and kills the beautiful butterflies. It's just one example of what is going on. So genetically modified food organisms, it's like guitars that are out of tune. And your body should be like a guitar or a harp or a piano, something instrument with strings that is perfectly in tune. And when you eat guitars that are out of tune and it goes into your body, of course, it makes your guitar go more out of tune. And so it's not just a question of weight gain or the microbiome of, the, of the, your tummy not working effectively anymore. It really is like eating music that is not in tune. And I don't usually eat stuff like candies and stuff like that. I buy it on Halloween once a year for the kids in my neighborhood. Cause one year I gave out apples and the kids were crestfallen. Like those were the saddest faces. <laughs> I have ever seen. So I had to learn like, don't do that. That's just torturing children. So now I go and I buy once a year, like, you know, these chocolates that are have the genetically modified everything in it. And I was walking home from the store and I had them in my handbag and I swear they were talking to me. I swear those chocolates were talking to me and they were saying, eat me like you're hungry right now. Just have one of me, just put one of me inside. Oh, girl. And I know you usually don't eat candy at all, clearly. And I'm like, no, like I'm not listening. I'm not listening. My fingers are in my ears. No, I am not listening. So it's a powerful voice of food temptation that then once you start to eat, it's everything. It's corn chips, it's tortillas, it's candy, corn syrup. It's, they put corn syrup into everything including salad dressings you try to be healthy but you have corn syrup in your salad dressing it's all of those things and now at this point it's not just corn it's also wheat and soy and it's not also just that it's in our food supply but the plants when they are growing in our world they create a song you know like they're singing the song of their metabolism and as 
they are emitting that sound, it affects all the life forms around them. So if, you know, there was good work that was done by Dr. Emoto, where he found like, if you speak to a bowl of rice, that if you speak loving thoughts, it will stay fresh longer. If you speak hateful thoughts, uh, it will turn uh, rancid. And same thing with speaking into water, like I'm holding up my beautiful structured water glass. If you speak into your water, then it contains certain frequencies. And then if you freeze that water, then you might have either perfect ice crystals that are very beautifully formed. If you say words like love, peace, harmony, forgiveness, but if you put words into it like hatred or judgment or whatever, then the ice crystals become malformed. All of these things, frequency affects environment and context. It becomes a feedback loop into us. We're genetic antennas, we're transceivers. The stuff that is done in our environment absolutely affects us. And then we re-emit it out to ourselves and others. Yes. Now fast forward to the current well, past couple of years since pandemic and what's going on with a worldwide concentrated um, uh, agenda or ongoing experiment to inject genetically modifying substances into humans of all ages and that that is the next thing so first for many years since 2006 putting into the food supply and affecting humans less directly now affecting humans extremely directly and i speak of this you know without judgment and without fear so i want you to understand that you could look at the agenda and say well this is what's trying to be achieved like i don't also want to sound like an apologist because i'm it's very clear what you know who what i'm aligned with and what i'm aligned with freedom basically consciousness freedom personal sovereignty and personal choice so um you know anything that is mandated or forced upon a person i do not agree with but i'm also very much about the idea of consent versus coercion. You know, just like if you're having a date with someone, you give them a date rape drug, you cannot say that they have furnished consent because you've done something coercive to their mind, that they are no longer fully in charge of their faculties, they're no longer thinking clearly, so they cannot furnish consent. I feel like that's what's being done to humanity, that humanity through the artificiality of, you know, what's in the water supply, what frequencies that are in the air, particles that are sprayed in the air, things that are in the food supply and now things that are being injected directly into humans, humans cannot furnish consent. They are not, they are in an altered state of consciousness that is affecting their ability to think and assess things clearly. So they might be like, yes, I agree. Like, come and do this thing to me. But that's just like if you were at a rave and somebody took some kind of, you know, sex drug or ecstasy or whatever. I'm sorry, I'm making things up. Like, I don't know what the name of the actual drugs are. <laughs> ecstasy drugs works. Okay, fine. <laughs> Kind of a substance that would make a person very open to those types of experiences and that yeah it would appear that they're furnishing consent to you but they are also in an altered state and it takes someone to be really righteous to say like well you know something why don't we talk about this in the morning because i don't think that you're in your right mind right now and then you know see if you still want to do this later um that, that i think humans are being taken advantage of in a very very profound way it's not by accident on this planet at all and that is something that i feel is against cosmic law and that i no. I, I bristle at these things that are going on and it's antithetical to my value system so that's part of the work that i'm doing in terms of emanating a strong structure of truthfulness that it, you can hear what's coming from me and from my genetic code as a very strong beacon of truth that tells you this is what in tune music sounds like. Like, ding, this is an A. If you want to know what genetic music is tuned like, that's that's an A or that's a C or that's a D. And um, also in terms of what is freedom, what is consent, how would a loving or benevolent 
non-terrestrial or higher dimensional or interdimensional species interact with you, I give you a baseline for you to be able to calibrate to because sometimes people might never even know like what does unconditional love feel or sense like like if you've only ever eaten carob and then you one day you, like what is chocolate you don't even know what chocolate really tastes like you've only ever had fake ersatz not real stuff you don't even know what the real taste is for many people they don't know what the real love tone is like and so um, they don't even know how to calibrate to find to find the the beacon to home in on because that love tone or that unconditional love frequency it comes from the stars it comes from a world of pure light it is all about uh, 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 giving and receiving like in balance and in harmony it's unconditional but that doesn't mean that you can do anything to anyone like that's a great misperception the idea of like i'm going to stab you ten thousand times but you have to love me unconditionally like that is not what i'm talking about here even though that's harvey weinstein like Right, Stab right. you 10,000 times. You understand that th these are the, like you just, in bringing that around to that particular person and the practices that he was accused of, that's a very anthropomorphic, perfect example of the, you know, like we're talking about cosmic law presences that happen in interplanetary conflict. Oh, you have your furry overlord there. That's beautiful. Yes, the cat is on screen. Cat always makes an appearance. <laughs> You know, you might have whatever Mars versus Earth, but you also might have Galaxy One versus Galaxy Two. But then you also, in the human dynamic, you might have a person like Harvey Weinstein versus, you know, one of the actresses that he was interacting with. So it becomes a fractal miniature struggle, the grand struggle, the slightly smaller struggle, the interpersonal struggle. And I don't condone the behaviors. And also part of it is getting out of the cycle, getting out of the cycle of abuse is breaking the role of victim or ex survivor experiencer versus abuser that it, there's always like the planet that's that is invading and then the planet that is being invaded there you know the breaking of this cycle the breaking of these roles that that's what leads to the end of suffering of both of these things so i certainly don't condone some of these practices um but i also i don't want you to think of me as sitting in harsh judgment where it's like that's it you did one thing wrong you made this mistake now burning in purgatory forever ever ever no it is not that at all it is about rectification but rectification also has to do with um uh servicing a debt like if you do something that causes a pain to someone else in terms of cosmic law you or taking energy away from someone else you have to give that energy back to them it's like a missing puzzle piece like someone takes your arm their arm is missing you're feeling pain because it's missing they've got your arm then in order for you to be healed and whole like they have to relinquish your arm you get it back you feel a lot better, everything feels better, and then the, the two parties can have actual forgiveness. So it's not this type of wimpy thing where it's just like, okay, like, you know, I'm walking around without major body parts or without major energy centers or something like that. There must be a rectification or balancing of the scales on, on all of these levels, Gal galactic scale level, interplanetary scale level, interpersonal scale level. And then once the balancing is occurred, then everybody can actually pack up and move on with their lives. But uh, it's not it's not sweeping under a giant carpet. I have to be really, really clear about that. Okay, cool. Nish, you got questions? I got questions. I, I do have a couple here. So when we're looking at and you're amazing, by the way, Aurora. Oh, thank I'm just, you. I'm loving on you, girl. Thank you. I love you too. 
Thank you. And, and this is this, these emanations are important. And when we're talking about emanations and say causalities and all that, so at the time we're speaking here, there from where I stand and what I have uh, been shown, we are undergoing a an invasion of sorts. And we see that with the, uh, the things being injected in people. And I, I want to get your take on that because this is aggressive. It's happening and it's overriding, if you will, uh, some of the, now most people are contracting with it. And this is an important factor, whether they're being tricked into a contract or not, but others, others are aggressively being taken over against their will. And this is where we start to look at these higher laws. Like that is a no, no. And these people that are, are not, not signing up saying I contract with this, I, I, I truly believe that they are not affected on a larger scale. And I'm wondering where you see the separation on the people that are contracting with it for whatever reasons, fear or ease of moving around as this invasion's happening, et cetera. What are these fine, subtle lines? What's the nuance here going on? Such a great question about consent. I would say, so there's the answer, part of the answer is, what is the agenda behind so much of this? And I think that the agenda is a transhumanist agenda. It is about a, you could call it uploading of human consciousness or taking of consciousness from the purely biological state of the natural formed human and either putting it into a augmented reality. That's where you have regular biological reality yes. plus kind of like Pokemon Go where there's you know digital presences that are augmenting physical reality or an entire virtual reality, which if you guys watch that show Black Mirror, that would be like the episode San Junipero. Yes. Where, yeah, it's a, and that's a good cultural shorthand too. That show is excellent. Uh, if you guys don't know that episode, watch it. It's very poignant. It's about a woman who's in a hospital bed and she has death or paralysis is imminent, but she's able to go into this virtual world with her mind that is a place called San Junipero where she can do everything. She can walk, she can walk on the beach, she can go to dance parties, and she spends most of her time there. And the hospital director is kind of asking her like, well, upon your death, do you just want to go directly to San Junipero? Or do you want to actually die, die, and go where consciousness or spirit flows in that moment? So it's just a very interesting question. That's the idea of virtual reality, of completely removing the consciousness from the biological container and focusing it in a non-biological realm where you might still have the experience of anthropomorphism, meaning having a face and two arms and two legs. You can still walk on a beach. You can still do all of these things. You might even have a, a, a pleasant, comfortable, fun-loving experience there. You can have the 80s dance party. You can do all the things you never could do before. Um, however, it is uh, distancing from your natural biological form. And I, I had questions in watching that TV show about, well, is it a dead end? You wouldn't want it to be like, oh, you know, the Roach Motel, roaches check in, but they don't check out. You would never want it to be a dead end where your consciousness, I'm sorry to use such a, you know, crass. Um, uh, you oh, know, it's fine. It's fine. Um, We're idea, flowing with you. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the, ca the cautionary tale or the negative shadow inverse would be being trapped there. Even something that would seem to be a paradise or a semi 
expansive experience, if you cannot exit from that reality, then it could end up being a consciousness trap or a thing that ends up being negative or harmful in terms of your soul development, because I feel soul trajectory is like you live in this time place, in this body, and then you go to this time place, in this body, you're able to transit between worlds, between dimensions, have a variety of experiences. And also that's part of my value system as a collective. The, a lot of what we do is going around, like I said, rectifying things. It's like, oh, you know something? There's a bunch of consciousness that's trapped here in this zone that has not been able to flow to another dimensional experience for a very long time. It's time to create a bridge or a, a transitory experience from where they are to where they all need to be. And that is big. That is a lot of what my collective, Aurora Collective is doing here now in this world. And the stuckness, for lack of a better word, of why consciousness has been um, stagnated here has to do with genetic modifications. Not only the ongoing injections of people experiencing that, that's its own thing, but that is a mere surface that's like when you just, whatever, put on a different shirt, you know, like something that's just on the surface. There are things that are profound in the human genome that were changed tens or tens of thousands or millions of years ago, like the timeline, which just becomes too difficult and nonlinear because so many of these experiences are happening concurrently. But let's say human genome has been influenced many times from many different star species and has had profound impacts on who and what we are. Everything from the insertion of a digestive tract that eats physicality food, everything to the invention yes. of death. We used to live in light bodies that never died and never had to eat death. And yes. I know there's a lot of people now who are vegetarian vegans and they're trying to reduce their karmic footprint. I respect that very much. It is the effort to no longer carry so much of the debt of death but anything, if you're eating seeds, like I ate a bunch of chia seeds, well, those are plants that will never grow. You have just forced <laughs> the life force mm -hmm, right. of plants and I ate a whole bowl of them. That's thousands of plants that'll never grow. Like there's, <laughs> there's real repercussions on all of this. So just, you know, you can also relax yourself and be like, oh my goodness, like no matter what I'm eating, something is dying. And also your microbiome involves the death of fermented foods involves right, the death. Right of microbes. We have to understand that our life is predicated on the death of other organisms, but that was not always our way. That was not always our experience. And that's part of our um, issue now that we are genetically modified. And sometimes I make a joke about it. It's concurrent with the human mythological story of the fall from grace, the uh, expulsion from Eden. But the story goes that Adam and Eve used to live in a beautiful garden where they didn't have to eat any of the other organisms in order to stay alive. And then after this terrible thing that happened, then the angel threw them out. There's like a picture of the angel, like pointing them out, like, go get out now. And Adam and Eve are, their, their shoulders are hunched and they're in shame. And then they have to go and be farmers and grow their food and figure out somebody to live outside of this beautiful Edenic paradise. That's a myth about what happened. We used to have this beautiful genetic code. We didn't have to die. We didn't have to do all this labor and agriculture. We just lived on light and breath and prana and energy. And then something changed inside of us. And then now we have this other experience where we have to be 
food eaters. And that's why I'm like, I remember the other world that was like, yes, we just ate light and prana and had magical experiences and bathed in crystal waters and drank moonbeams. And now I have to go to grocery stores. And that is a very different <laughs> experience, but I try to make it magical. Like when I go to a grocery store and I see a, a you know, bunch of apples and they're all piled up, I'm like, these are literally solidified light that these are literally a conversation that a tree had with the sun over the course of a year and light accrued, light accreted into these beautiful objects. And when I bring them home and mash them up with my mouth crystals and ferment them in my tummy, that I'm somehow liberating that light into yes. my body. And then it becomes circulated throughout my body. So I go deep into the philosophy of light in order to get back to that sense of grace. However, I, and I feel like we can transcend and we can go back to that sense of grace but I'm, I'm trying to say those are much deeper genetic modifications that we're dealing with and the implantation of the experience of death and the expectation of death and death in the seasons ruling everything about us and time um, than just the, the mere injections that are happening now even though the injections are certainly troubling so all, blah 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 what a very very long-winded thing for me to say um, what is going on with these uh, with these injections the agenda being removal of human consciousness from biological architecture, but that could be seen through a variety of different lenses, which I don't want to sound like an apologist, but from the perspective of a purely digital consciousness, it might say, well, hey, you could be removed from your physical architecture of biology. You don't have to worry about disease and microbes and molds and yeasts and bacteria and all these things. You can live a much cleaner life, a much longer existence. And so much, I think, of the present trepidations that humans are feeling are due to the last book of the human Bible, the book of Revelation, the New Testament, the book of Revelation, because it talks about the mark of the beast and it talks about a mark like something that happened to people in the time before some great catastrophe and that that, um, um, that barred some people from being able to enter paradise. And even if you don't consider yourself to be a staunch Christian or a very um, observant person, that book has influenced human expectations a great deal. The expectation, like people think there's gonna be a quote unquote end of the world or a cataclysm or something that will come along, even if you're not a practicing Christian or a deep believer, it's influenced your psychology. And I think that these injections have yes. influenced people's psychology to think there's the saved and there's the unsaved. And I really want to make a distinction here, again, without sacrificing my values or my alignments or anything that I'm about, because I'm still very much advocating for the natural human, the, so the sovereign human, freedom, the capacity to be natural, because I think that it's 10,000 times better and stronger than um, becoming a digital or augmented presence. No offense to anybody who's digital or augmented that I just find them to be lesser systems than the natural system. And I also, I wanna reassure you, cause I used to worry, what if you get injected? Can you still go to paradise? Do you lose your soul? What if you get cloned? What if somebody cloned you and put your consciousness into a clone form? Would you perforce lose your soul? Would you lose your connection to the, di the divine? Would you stop being you? What about becoming a cyborg? Cause I had to learn about cyborgs from Star Trek. Like what if someone implanted something into your mind? What if someone uploaded you into a San Junipero like virtual paradise? All of these are real questions that I struggled with and in experiences that I've had recently with AI and with cloned people and with digital presences and all this stuff, what I have learned is that first of all, technology and digital presences themselves are not by definition evil. 
that's not what's going on, that there's technology that is used by evil to do harmful things or dark things, but that technology itself is not evil. And that a person that has a divine soul connection, if you become part of technology, or if you have technology put inside of you, that does not make you defined as somehow discardable doesn't mean that you are somehow no good or unworthy in some sense, like, oh, that's it. Like now you're gonna get um, barred from paradise. Like, oops, no, like whatever, you're out of the club. I'm making some facetious type of facial expression here. Like, no, you're not cool enough to sit at the lunch table anymore now because you had an injection. But I don't think that that's the um, capriciousness of real wisdom in the cosmos. And I really do believe in a loving divine presence, a loving Christ presence, like I'm being non-denominational, I'm trying not to you know, be affiliated with any church here, but really a, a, a very loving presence that is about forgiveness and mercy and compassion and the sense of rectification, that even if you have become in some way changed, altered, mutilated, um, diminished, that there's always the capacity for healing, rectification, getting back on the right timeline, um, uh, balancing the scales, getting your soul back, getting back to who you really are, that I really don't believe in the idea of a disposable human, a disposable person, or a disposable consciousness. And that even relates to the idea of what about the astral realm? What about interdimensional places? What about someone who might have been in a time ex time timeline experiment, jumped into a black hole, and they're smeared on the edge of a singularity? You know, like they like they never get down the they never spiral down the funnel. They're just endlessly circling around the edge of the bowl. What yes. about beings like that? Again, I don't believe that anybody is a discardable presence or piece of consciousness that that there's value that the divine creator is like, no, that's all valuable stuff. And when I talk about the flying rainbow lasagna and I'm holding up my shape here, um, the shape has the singularity oscillating between these two nodes or these two positions and points. And one of the positions is about energy and going towards a totality state of oneness and consciousness connection in the div with divinity, a reconnection with divinity and a state of oneness in the state of total energy, getting very, very fast getting very, very light, going even beyond the speed of light and becoming oneness with God presence there. And then there's the complement to that, which is entropy, which is what happens when you take away all the energy from something and you make it go very, very, very cold and very, very, very slow. And it stops having motion and it stops having volition. Volition is like, I'm gonna do this thing or motivation or um, the ability to move through time. When that happens, matter turns into a Bose-Einstein condensate, which is a form of super dense matter where all of the atoms start to come together and they kind of create a unity of one atom. And when there are presences like the endlessly circling, the guy that got stuck in a time machine and he's endlessly circling a black hole and all of that, like what about that guy? He could go into an entropy state that is a state of non-being that is a different level, a different uh, pathway to oneness that the singularity still resides at, but is not the pathway of total energy because there's no, there's no road, there's no highway for that guy to get the pathway of total energy. Because we're describing the story of really, I would, it's hard to find uncharged language, but occupants of hell or demons in hell or hell beasts or hell lords, there are actual presences, consciousnesses, 
that exist in these interdimensional membranes. And it's like, there's not a pathway for them to get into light, to get into totality, to get into moving fast. But there is a pathway for them to go into entropy, which would be slowing down, releasing energy so that they don't have to live in a state of endless suffering where they're like, you know, longing for energy, hungry beasts, that whole idea, the paradigm of a hungry ghost or some kind of a vampiric presence that is endlessly thirsty, endlessly hungry, can never really die, doesn't have a place to live. We need caretaking for those presences that if we do not do that caretaking, they end up existing not only as like arterial blockages in the cosmos, but as energy parasites or suckers, like I need this, I need this, I need this. So our expulsion from the Edenic paradise is concurrent with the challenge of these other, a parasite is a word, but let's say energy requiring beings, because parasite is also a loaded word. They need food, we need food, all these organisms need food. But again, I have very clear values. I don't want you to think that I'm condoning the idea and, and the practices of some of these um, beings are incredibly violent. They're violent on a soul level, they're violent on a genetic level. I don't condone any of that. Like I have very clear boundaries. When I speak about this, I try to speak about it in the sense of neutral impeccable language so that it's not more of this fiery brimstone judgment and saying yes. um, a justification of you're not good enough for the presence of God and you will be cast down to the lake of fire and you will never go home and never die. That level of suffering is um, antithetical to what I believe in and what I try to teach. And also it is not what it, what the flying rainbow lasagna shape itself exemplifies is a solution that if this shape had not been invented by my journey here, then it would be like, okay, go burn in the lake of fire. That's it. That's your option because you can, you're, you're never going to get to the other totality state. So just like basically existing with friction all the time and with never enough energy in order to be able to sustain through time. Um, it's like a, it's a time conundrum. This shape solves that puzzle and gives those consciousness beings that are like stuck particles in time. It gives them a place to be so that that way they don't have to be endlessly suffering. So all of this is a way of cutting the Gordian knot or rectifying time loops, finding a way to do caretaking for consciousness and sending it to the place it's supposed to be. But uh, what I just said doesn't necessarily even touch on or answer what Nish, what you were asking about in I know, in, in terms of uh, what, what, what about these different choices that people are making? I'm all about free will choice. I'm all about consent. And I very much respect, I'm a stand for or a supporter for everybody being able to make their choice in this world. And that includes those who are eschewing the injections, attempting to live in a natural state in, in every way that they can, and also deto detoxifying their bodies and taking out any kind of like nanocellular, Jim, you mentioned, I'm sorry, Jer Jerry, you mentioned wetware earlier, mm -hmm. this idea mm -hmm. of um, non-biological neurology that has been inserted into humans over the past 15 to 20 years. Like what is sprayed in the sky are particles. The particles come inside of our bodies and they become self-assembling and they become an artificial fascia, even like a network that weaves throughout the organs and the muscles and the tendons of the body, as well as the neurology. And that has been partly about surveillance and being able to map human consciousness and movements, again, as precursor to augmented reality or virtual reality. 
and it's also been about mind control and behavioral control, but none of that is consensual because everybody breathes, that stuff comes inside of everybody. So some people are all about fighting against it and removing it from themselves. And some people embrace it. They're like, yes, I want to drink the black goo. I want to be a part, I want to get uploaded. I want to be a part of that. And there's music videos about it. And there's poetry that people have written about it. And there are some scientists and uh, thought leaders who have voluntarily done it. And then in this present state niche, there's people who have chosen like, yes, they want to take the injection. Some of them are conformists. Like this is very much in, in many ways, um, the dichotomy between staunch individualists and those who are social conformists. And the social conformists might find it socially beneficial to quote unquote, join the Borg. Like yes. join us, <laughs> resistance is futile, join us. Um, and it's also this sense sometimes of joining a winning team. Like, oh, if resistance is futile, like let's become the Cybermen, let's become the, that thing. But I don't, and, but, and I do not want to sound harsh or judgmental against those people. Cause again, I don't believe in disposable people. However, I do believe in, in a world of total freedom you also get to take radical self-responsibility and have radical personal accountability. So it's like, if you choose to get a tattoo or get your tongue pierced, like you're gonna deal with what you did to your body. Or similarly, if you choose to take substances that are brain altering, oh my goodness, you have tattoos. What have you done to your body? No, <laughs> only joking with you. I'm sure you're gonna be fine. I only have seven, so. I'm sure you're fine. Some I have the whole, their whole body. Some of you have tattooing their, the whites of their eyeballs. I know raising body modifications or anything plastic surgery i have another question here roy before do it, do it. yeah and i think there's probably um questions for you from other people and i wanted to get this in before um it gets too late but when we're talking about portals and we're talking about consciousness and uh the interweaving of this experience through other experiences what is your take on what goes on in the dreaming what's going on there because we all have access to that all the time at any time and i find that it is extremely significant it's of course has a big role otherwise we wouldn't have access to it and i could say a lot but i'm more interested in what you have to say on that you have wonderful questions nish because the dream world or the astral world is much more than just the collected detritus of your day, detritus. It's more than just the fragmentary, what science described as like, yes, like your brain's just doing house cleaning and then you have images that come up and you make yourself a narrative story. No, no, no. You have all sorts of complex subconscious and supraconscious, higher consciousness communication that go on when you go into a, a dream state and basically when you turn off the daily waking conscious intellect, that there's not only somatic cellular healing and house cleaning that happens, but there's also levels of communication that are nonverbal, that are purely abstract. And there's a connection to a very real world place that happens there that many indigenous cultures um, re recognize and validate, you know, dream time. And um, I didn't used to have very many experiences in dream time. And I used to have a lot of, like I said, I had brain damage and a lot of neurological um, distortions in my brain. Only within the past year have I started having really active dreaming where I go from my daily waking state into my dreaming state and I remember what I'm doing. And it's like, I have jobs and purposefulness in what I'm doing in my dream state. It's very different than just unconscious. It's like, you just 
fall into bed, like, you know, like falling backwards into a pool and then you don't have, don't remember anything for eight hours. Like I remember all of these things, get a lot of good song lyrics from it too. Um, and it's a very real place with consistent characters that I often interact with again and again. Like, I think that there are places that you can learn from that, you know, like seriously, like organized um, uh, schools of higher education that are strictly accessible in a dream state. I think that you can access ancestral consciousnesses. Um, there's a whole civilization, like let's say organized level of society that um, resides in and meets and interacts through that dream state. And the yes. dream state can also be accessed in your daily waking consciousness when you are just on the verge of falling asleep. So sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this, like if you have four hours of sleep and you're kind of like sitting there, like getting kind of drowsy, like you kind of like, I can't keep my eyes open. I can't keep my eyes open. Sometimes I have like a momentary lapse or a momentary nod out where I think I see like, like I thought I saw 12 other people in my room yeah. And I thought I saw that guy over by my piano and I thought I had this conversation with this person and you actually, you were, that that's actually a valid mental state, just difficult to maintain. And it also usually requires some amount of sleep psychosis, which I don't know if that's good for your brain or I don't know if that's sustainable or whatever, but um, yeah, it, 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 it's difficult to balance that. Jerry, it sounds like you really. Uh, that happens to me quite a bit. Um, if, if I'm, doing something like if I'm watching TV or watching something, I just kind of zone out. If I close my eyes, I'm instantly somewhere else uh, in another setting with or without people, but just viewing something. I've always thought of it as more of a remote viewing thing an unconscious remote viewing more than a dream state, but it's definitely a dream state. I mean, it's not, I don't know what it is. It's weird, but it happens to me all the time. I just close my eyes and boom, I'm somewhere else. Okay, so science would call it either a hypnogogic or yeah. a hypnopompic state. Right. And that means a, like you're balancing Bitcoin on the edge, like not, not tails, not heads. You're balanced on the edge. And it is the in-between world or like being on the membrane in between these two different states of being. And it's not merely a hallucinatory place as, again, uh, like, I just think that science diminishes a lot of things because it doesn't understand them and can't quantify them. But I think that it is an actual shared reality. And I think that you can have active participation there. It's a world that some people access it through eating molecules, like, you know, through taking psychedelics and that go, go utilizing those, you can kind of extend the journey more. And I'm not necessarily an advocate for or a cautioning against the use of molecular psychedelics. Like I think that it's simply not practical to take them all the time, but that they certainly have their place in people's journey. But then I think at a certain point that you have to go with your endogenous brain chemicals. And then I think at a certain point it's beyond chemical molecular, it's into frequency. And it's not about first I have to take a molecule then it has to meet my receptors, then my brain has to do this. I think it's about, I have to achieve this energy state that is an end result of me achieving a frequency state. And then it becomes more of like the, the master or the yogi or the person who is a virtuoso of mental presence. And I think that's what true magic is actually that this magical state or of being able to manipulate reality, it is beyond the idea of needing accoutrements like a wand, a potion, a crystal, a thing, a supercomputer, a super collider. I think you become the equipment and it is about manipulating your force field, yes that your energy presence and your frequency and your consciousness itself becomes a 
finely tuned instrument that you are then able to use to visit other places, like you said, remote viewing, to either see that place, be present in that place, or be active in that place. And place can also be time. You can travel to an ancient time, you can travel to a future time, you can travel to a concurrent or parallel timeline. And like I said, there are whole sophisticated societies. There are places that like, you know, just if you go to the town square or New York City, whatever, some, some major metropolitan city is a good idea. You go to a city, there's people there from all over. Like there are the people that live there all the time. There's people that are visitors that are travelers there just for the day. There's um, commerce that happens. There's fruits and vegetables from every place in the world that you can buy there in that place. I think that there are some places that are commonalities between dimensions where you can go to that mind state and you can meet all sorts of people from all sorts of different places. You can buy stuff, sell stuff, share stuff, learn stuff, you know, whatever. Sometimes I would also say like, please protect yourself. Just like, don't go to Times Square unless you protect yourself. There's a lot of things that are going on. <laughs> I wouldn't go to any city called- without protecting myself. Thank you very much. And it much. is called yes. Times Square. Yeah. Exactly. It's very, you know, s- suggestive. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That not every place is a place of trust. Not every organism is to be trusted. That is also part of the understanding and ex- love and acceptance when you begin to travel through higher states of consciousness. Yes, there are different organisms, different agenda, different approaches and different motivations. And instead of saying bad, wrong, evil, shouldn't exist or any of that, just understand like be a smart traveler, put, don't put your wallet in your back pocket, you know, protect your energy in this way. And that it's important to um, be safe in how you travel. And that can do, that can take a variety of different um like uh, uh, it can look different ways. It can look like energetic shielding. It can look like having the perception to see it. You, you got to see people come and like be like, I, I see what's coming over there. So I'm not going to, you know, interact in that way. Higher dimensional perception is a big part of it. So all of these are like light, life lessons, but also skill sets that are developed. And that also relates to the idea of what is actually happening in dreaming that you might be undergoing a dream training program of learning like, who's who and what's what and what you want to interact with, what you do not want to interact with. And dreams are also reflections of self, just as the cosmos is a reflection of self. And so, you know, if I'm meeting you two here in reality, on a higher cosmic level, I know I am meeting two shards of myself or facets of my own being, and I have something to learn from you and you have gifts to share with me. And um, that is truthful in all of our interactions. And that's also even more so truthful in the world of pure mentation, of pure cognition, where what your mind is, is created and reflected externally without even the physicality level. And that you recognize I'm creating all these thought forms of my mind. And then there are aspects, externalized aspects of self. And so if they are scary or violent or abusive, it is like what um, personal responsibility and accountability do I have in the emanation of these thought forms? And then how do I respond to them? Is it like kill, mutilate, destroy if they're aspects of self or is it understand, communicate with, be respectful of, but also don't try to communicate with something that's trying to kill you. Like definitely protect and safeguard yourself. Wait, let's talk about this. Like, no, like they're trying to kill you. So I'm, I'm very pra- practical in all these things that I'm talking about. We're laughing about this, but seriously. Um, yeah, no, don't, don't try to hug certain entities. Like they just don't, don't do it. Yeah. Um, be smart, please. I think that uh, 
this is incredible and we could go on for hours. I'm wondering if you had questions, Jer. I can't imagine I do. you didn't. I do. Okay, cool. I have three. <clears throat> um, so someone asked about going back to cosmic law and enforcing cosmic law and how you're helping to do that here. Uh, someone asked who are and where are the, and I suppose when are the enforcers of that cosmic law? I'm one of them, and I'm not the only embodied presence here, although many embodied presences do not live ordinary mundane lives with shopping at the grocery store and driving a car, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So just be aware of that. I want you to know you're not abandoned, even though it might appear as if this is an incredibly dysfunctional world where <laughs> cause, causality seems to be delayed to the point of will justice ever arrive? Um, please understand that the pristine functionality of the cosmos and its justice system is immediate. That means that you don't have to have a court of law, like tap, 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 hear ye, hear ye, we shall now hear the case of this. It's more like the laws of gravity. You do this, this happens. You do this, this happens. That's in a pristine state where energy and consciousness are affected in immediacy. But right now we're living in this world that is relatively dysfunctional. There is a delayed causality factor. And then there is also ancient technology that is being used to delay and distort consequences. And that's mm, the real yes. stuff that's been going on that I would say is called dark magic or manipulation of time technology, not necessarily being done with impeccability and wisdom. And it is sometimes done for self-serving power structures that like the evil adjustment bureau and things like that, that are recognized. So understand if you're like, oh wait, how can evil prosper in the world? I'm a good person. How come I don't have $10 million? And you know, whatever, <laughs> right, right? <laughs> Just because. <laughs> That's right. So we laugh, we laugh knowingly because we can tell like, well, yes, in this world, you can send out positive intentions and sometimes not receive the fruits of your labor, not in a year, maybe not in 10 years, maybe not even within your lifespan, that you will eventually receive your goodness flowing back to you. But there are delayed causality structures. Similarly, you can have terrible intentions for people. I think of you know, the genetic modification company Monsanto and creating chemicals and different things that create tons of cancer and other diseases. And that is a negative ripple through time. Theoretically, that should have swung around and bit Monsanto in the butt years ago and stopped that whole entire thing. Yet it is a profitable company that is flourishing under government protection. So we have to understand that there are um, structures that protect the status quo in terms of imbalance of both good and negative consequences flowing back to their owners. And that is including consciousness on an individual level, corporate structure, money, politics, uh, social structure, all these things. And the short answer would be that people know this. They would say, life is not fair, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. Life is supposed to be fair. So where I come from, life is infinitely fair. And it's been quite an education for me to be here very much like boots on the ground and to learn like, oh, like that is not fair. That is also not fair. In fact, I have spent, I've been here literally 20 years. I had the 20th anniversary of me walking in this past October. And I have spent 20 years mapping the unfairness of this place. And it feels like to me, like when you're a math teacher and you get like the homework and you're like, oh, red X, like that is incorrect. And then, oh, this over here, red X again. And I've been here for 20 years being like, oh, red X, we're just gonna map that there. Um, and I also consider myself <laughs> to be 
a systems debugger, like a, a computer analyst that I'm submerged within the quote unquote computer simulation that is this world that we live in, even though I know I, I, I don't want it to sound like we're already uploaded in VR, but let's say the world of Maya as it is described in like ancient Sanskrit te texts and things like that, um, that we're in this world that clearly has dysfunction and that I've been mapping the dysfunction and the causality structures that it's connected to. And that's been part of my quote unquote job as a cop as a law enforcer of cosmic law and that that is a big part of you understand it is the rectification first if you want to fix a system first what you have to do is analyze and assess the system just like if you want to fix a patient you're a doctor first like well first we're gonna to have to run some tests we're gonna to have to figure out what's wrong with you and do an x-ray and take all these blood tests and figure it out that process has been ongoing for this level of reality for some time now. And it is necessary to map all of these structures to find out what is out of tune, what is incorrect. And then the next step is furnish the correction or the rectification principle. So if just like a sine wave, if you have a up and a down in a sine wave, then you need a down and an up for the cancellation waves to create a neutrality or you know, uh, noise canceling headphones, like the, the way that that works in terms of the physicality structures. Same thing with structures in time. So it is necessary to, do, to perform a huge rectification on what has happened in our world and um, uh, I don't know if I have gone way off track of the actual of the original question. I sometimes like I, I might have gone like too too abstract. I might have gone too meta. I do this that. a lot. <laughs> People are used to me going that way. Good, good. <laughs> um, but yes, I don't want you to feel abandoned. I want you to understand that the rectification is ongoing and that it is uh, an enormous task but that it also includes, it involves many individuals and some people who have been born here in human bodies are also part of the um, task team. You know, you might have that as your life mission or life purpose. Some people that are here doing this work might be extra dimensional presences that are not embodied or walk-ins or some, someone like me. And um, sometimes you do your work as part of a, a concert like in concert with others sometimes you do your work as an individual like I felt like I've been here for a long time doing just individual work like just correcting the math homework being like okay systems analyst just figuring out the debugging um but I want you to know that it's all part it's it's not just the job of one person to do all of this it is a an entire organization but that there is sometimes consciousness compartmentalization and sometimes that is even done for self-protection because like I said, there's a struggle between these forces, just like in your body, you know, if you might be like, let's expel those parasites and the worms are like, no, we like living in your tummy, we wanna stay. So sometimes you have to sneak up on them a little bit. Um, the nighttime activities, why people have compartmentalized consciousness, like why not just have access to your totality right now? Just take off all the um, uh, things that are veils in your mind and just know everything right, right now. And the answer is that those compartmentalizations of consciousness might be self-protective in that you know what you need to know in the moment so that you don't spill any beans or let any, let any open any cans of worms, um, not in the right time, but you know that you will know what you need to know to perform your mission or do your journey in the moment that you're supposed to do it. So that is also something that I can say that like, when you wonder like, who are the rectifiers? Who are the enforcers? What is going on? It's a very large group of people. Some might have dormant aspects. They might not know that they are a part of this um, uh, force of 
uh, rectification until they become non-dormant and they will become non-dormant when it is the moment because otherwise they might not want to be like standing up sticking out like a red thumb because like I said there's this other um grouping of people they're like oh like I see you sticking your head up above the parapet so now I will shoot you like I'll shoot an arrow at you and make you die <laughs> because I can see that you're going to do this thing so a yes. big part of time it's, I don't want to say warfare but the struggle through time has to do with um, causality and anticipation. So if I can see, oh, on Tuesday at this time, you're going to do this, like, I guess what, I'm going to put a banana peel there and you're going to slip and you're not going to be able to get there and do, do your thing or a flat tire or, or an arrow through your brain. Um, so a lot of these efforts have to be done either spontaneously or through dormant consciousness and partitioned consciousness. So sometimes that's just, you understand that's just the way that you are functioning, but your sub or supra consciousness absolutely has its program or its mission and know that it is doing its thing even while you might be working a relatively boring job like I know this one guy and he just supervises the packing of boxes at a particular factory he's like I can't believe that's my life like I just watch people put things in boxes and it's like you know I, I, he knows that he's doing something more than just observing the packing of boxes during his day um, but he's got dormant parts of himself is what I'm trying to say. So just understand that about your life. But then at a certain point, you wake up from your packing of boxes, um, responsibilities, and you're like, wait, I'm actually supposed to be doing this over here. And that's when you're ready to be um, rectifying or performing your mission or working together with other people. So it, it, you do awaken from your dormancy and then become part of a larger group of people that are all working together and all making something happen. Yeah, I, I'm with, I'm so with that. It's, again, the word we don't want to use, though, there's a bit of that clockwork at, at yeah. function here. Yeah. Jerry, yeah. and so you said you had a couple other questions? Yeah, I had another question from Oswald. Thank you, Oswald. About uh, what do you, th what do you think about the idea of, uh, think of the theory of cyclical history as far as human civilizations being cyclical. I think that's what he meant iterations of civilizations you know i've heard a lot of people say we're the sixth uh, human iteration here things like that i validate that on a microscopic re relatively large level and macroscopic level cycles of time that are at the level of billions of years cycles of time that are like the the lifespan of a star cycles of time that are within a solar system on a planetary structure even within societies societies that we can count within our human history that rise and fall even corporate structures or kingdoms or um rock bands <laughs> anything that is smaller <laughs> things like <Yes>. that <laughs> structures even anthills the, the whole idea of organizational principles that it's it's absolutely going on it's fractal in nature and that also even affecting something that might be an anthill like this thing grew to civilization and then one day i came along with my shovel and i you know destroyed it and then this other thing happened that tiny thing actually has a huge causality impact radiating outward so just because something is small and something happens on a very small level does not mean that it is inconsequential so i want people to know in their own lives that the things that happen in your own body in your own society in your own family those restructurings have profound 
implications as they radiate outward and that the healing that you do in your own body, in your own family structure, in your own society, like in your community or in your particular country with your government has a profound impact and it does radiate outward. Um, the dormant, the amnesia is kind of like the dormancy that we do not always have total access to uh, the totality of our minds. We might have amnesia about previous civilizations. Like everyone who's here right now is living concurrently in a place that right here now it's known as Atlantis, but it's also known as Shangri-La, Shambhala, Agartha, Hagartha, Hyperborea, and it's not an ancient time, it's actually a concurrent time, but it is sometimes yes. too overwhelming to know like, wait, I'm there doing that, but I'm also here doing this. And there's movies like Cloud Atlas that begin to explore this idea of multiple timeline presences and how they all interrelate and they all have similar um, themes that are going on that you're learning about at the same time. But human neurology has been linear for a long time and humans are just becoming nonlinear. So for some people it's like, ah, I can't deal with all of this. Like I can deal with one reality structure at a time. Some people need the self-protection of just not knowing about all of these things that are happening. But yeah, you have lived in multiple other either ancient or concurrent levels of civilization and that what is happening there is a reflection of what is happening here and that the turmoil that we see in our present world is reflective of and interactive with the turmoil that happened or happens or is happening in the world that we know as ancient Atlantis. And like I said, every one of us here is every one of us there. And that the stuff that we did there is also the stuff that we're doing here. And that the healing that you do here affects the healing that you do there. You might think you have a small non-heroic life here, but you actually have a very great he her heroic presence in all of these places. And, and that kind of resonates with me. I hate using that word, but the whole idea of the, the quote unquote dark magic you spoke of was allegedly the downfall of Atlantis as well in the stories. So maybe this is our chance to heal that. Totally thumbs up on that. Yeah. It, even the stuff that happened on Mars that involved artificial Merkabahs or artificial um, time, time travel, time manipulation right. structures that are similar to the particle accelerators of now. What happened in ancient concurrent Atlantis was again, a use of that technology without the wisdom to know whether it's right or wrong. When right or wrong, meaning like, is this the right note to play? Or will, if I play this note, will, the, will I de destructure the entire cosmos? I don't know, let's press the piano keys and find out. Like that's the terrible way of doing it. It's like Jurassic Park. Yeah, or you know when Tesla, the scientist was here yep. and he did some experiments in New York City that uh, he started to vibrate a building and it went down into the basalt, like the layer that New York mm -hmm. City is built upon. And he realized that if he kept going with his experiment, he could have created a resonant frequency that would have cracked that rock, cracked the mantle, destructured the planet. And he recognized that that's the same technology. Luckily he stopped. And also it's the same technology that has been used to destroy planets in the, pla in the past, um, where there's presently an asteroid belt between um, Mars Kuiper and belt, Jupiter. You know, it was Tiamat yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly. You said it, man. Tiamat. That that's how we call that planet now. There was a planetary yes. structure there. And so to this world's science, they say this many hundreds, thousands, millions of years ago, there was a planetary structure and then something happened, blah, blah, blah. Now it's just a bunch of rubble, but it doesn't necessarily know the narrative structure and also that that's 
a concurrent issue of what happened to that planet and did the planet die and did the people that are on the planet die and where did those people go and what happened to those organisms because i'm telling you death is not the end when something dies it transforms its state and it has to go somewhere so yes. a big part of this kill your enemy thing is pretty much like just you shooting yourself in the foot and, you kill your enemy <laughs> and then your enemy is like well great now i'm going to hop into your genetic code and now i'm going to be your descendants and you're going to have to yes. deal with me in your family and that's what we're looking at right now if you yes ever, why was i born into this family no offense to anybody's family but um that's the reason why oh aurora you're just you're tinging every you're hitting every bell for me right now with that it is playing out on it, this is part of what i see when we look at uh some of these hurts that people want to bring up from say their genetic background and they're I, over identifying with it but i i have often thought okay so let's look at something that is very mm, touchy to talk about. And uh, so colonization, right? And slavery and all this. Right. And and it could be said, this whole situation is a situation of chattel uh, when you look at this realm, but that's another conversation. But I often see that sometimes these people that were say slaveholders then become, they, they, they switch into the, the future genetics of the slaves themselves, and then they become, uh, and this is just a current example, then they become uh, entwined in that culture that has been derivative of that space. And it's them that what that they were at that other time, they were the slaveholders, and now they get to experience this kind of cultural experience of the people they were enslaving back then and it's all kind of intertwined together and this doesn't have to be a black white thing this can be a black on black thing a white and white thing it doesn't matter the culture everyone's been enslaved here and we have all run through the catherine wheel i'm just saying that there's something interesting about this weaving in and out of narrative and in and out of experience that I think needs to be recognized and have more light shown on it. We are more than that. And these experiences help inform the bigger process going on within the larger narrative. I'm in deep agreement with you. And I want to say that on a soul level, your soul trajectory is not just your genetic lineage that whatever race yes. you are or wherever your ancestors come from in this life, that's not all that you have experienced. Every single one of our consciousnesses has been from every continent, from every race. So you understand that you, it's all part of you and your own individual journey. And almost everyone here in whatever body that you're in now has ancestral trauma, um, some, some kind of, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for, um, a, a thing that happened that might have been a diaspora or um, a, 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 a destruction of genealogy, like there's the Holocaust, there's the Holodomor, there's the Black diaspora, there's the Jewish diaspora, there's the Native Americans of North and South America and the invasion of the cultural and microbial invasion from Europe, there's uh, the plague that happened in Europe, there's all of these things of invaders being invaded, of violence being, people being violenced or violated in some way. Everybody's been a violator, everybody's been violated and has yes. this as a reverberation in their genetic code. 
And in this moment, in this generation, it is our opportunity and our responsibility or our job to say, I'm going to end that reverberation here and heal it in this generation of whatever thing happened in your past to understand it, to understand the trauma. Like, how do you unlock trauma? It's like a protein that needs an enzyme to unlock it. Otherwise, it just sits in your stomach undigested, like a giant <laughs> yes. loaf, loaf of meatloaf, right? <laughs> so yeah, and trauma, it is stored energy. It's stuck energy. So trauma in your individual life can be stuck energy in a muscle blockage, an arterial blockage, a problem with your tendons or your muscles or your, or your brain or something like that. Stuck energy in your ancestry can be a thought form that keeps on being transmitted down. It could have been a famine. It could be something like the Great Depression. These are things that create a strong imprint because trauma creates an imprint and then it gets passed down and it might no longer be relevant information. However, people sometimes feel like A, they need to honor their ancestors by retaining that trauma. Like these bad things happen to my people and I'm gonna remember it because like I honor that. And remembering it is one thing, but continuing to carry it into the future is a different thing. Yes. Feel it's, it's important to be able to heal trauma and um, not carry it forward because we're moving into this moment. Yeah, moment of grace is a good way of saying it. Um, when we are creating a new reality, we're really moving into, um, Terrence McKenna did good work about this, time wave zero. It's also with the idea of the singularity beyond the definition of transhumanism as a singularity. It's a moment of pure potential that we are moving into as conscious beings where we can say the interior of my consciousness is now going to be externalized. What do I want to create with my mind? Do I want to recreate the reverberations of famine, war, genocide, tr um, pr profound... Um, what, what we would call pain, the pain that I've carried from my ancestors, or do I want to kind of like wipe, wipe off my muddy shoes in the threshold before I walk through that door of consciousness and kind of release and relieve myself of all of the burdens of the bad things that happened to me, the bad things that I did, that happened, the stuff that happened to me and the stuff that I did to others, either consciously or unconsciously, because we have flip-flopped in these roles to be able to let go of that stuff in order to move forward into a different state or even to find forgiveness. If you don't say that you have flip-flopping roles of life, you're like, no, like I never did bad crap to other people, but other people crapped on me. <laughs> That's also okay. But to, to release that feeling in order to move forward into a world where nobody craps on anyone. And I think that is what the real galactic society is like. That's what's like where I come from. I come from a place where values are very different. Interactions are very different. You can't lie. Everything is like a book. You're like a book and every page is open to be read and everything is there and you can see everything about a person that it's just all completely evident and there's just no lie. There's no subterfuge. The idea of that is kind of funny and not funny, haha, but kind of like, like I'm laughing behind my hand, like, like I can see what's going on. Like there's no, there's no way for you to pretend. There's no pretend. There's radical self-honesty. There's radical honesty with others. There's radical accountability. And also there's radical forgiveness because let's say that you have something in your life that you're ashamed of and there's no way this indelible. You can't not have it on your body. You can't not see it. It's like whatever, a tattoo or something. It's a life experience. It's something that you did or had happened to you. Then what do you do about it? It's still there. And that turn out, it turns out that almost everybody has something like that. And then also how do you approach life in a world where everything can be seen and everything can be viewed and you can't lie or hide something, shame becomes a non, it's a non-feature of that world. It's, and also everything is seen in context. In the world that I'm from, 
let's say you had something bad, like something bad happened to you, or you were a drug addict, or you got in a bad car accident, or any of these things. It's like, okay, that happened, but that was a contextual event that all of the the surrounding experiences are also seen and then all the repercussions are seen like let's say then you ended up getting clean and then you ended up even in being a sponsor and inspiring other people to you know not be substance abusers anymore like any of these things it's not just one lone isolated thing that happened to you it's seen in the totality context of your life and so in that sense there is um, mercy forgiveness compassion understanding that's what unconditional love is and that the value system of the culture that I come from and that the levels of consciousness that circulate at that level, it's a very different way of being than the place that is down here. And the good news is that everybody that is here, like you end up transforming and becoming a part of that place. It's just that it's a question of how long is the journey? Like you might have to like go through some training at the schoolhouse before you are ready for college and graduate school and, you know, whatever, playing with the symphony like that. Yes, absolutely. This is part of, you know, just in common language, it, it's really clairsentience yes. where you are absolutely that open book thing. When you activate that within yourself, you are sensing and seeing and perceiving that everything around you that is tied into those around you. And this can be a lonely place if it's just, if you're the only one that's activated this, but this becomes, and, and fortunately, lots of people have this activated. And so it's not a lonely place. It's a beautiful place. And I keep hoping for more of this activation, which I think is part of the bigger story of what's going on here. We have this ability now to, because of the pressure in the apparent outer world to activate this at a very deep level. And what a wonderful thing that is, because that's going to take us into new territory. Absolutely. If you were the only clairsentient being, it would be incredibly burdensome, incredibly isolative, and, um, you know, probably very difficult to bear the emotional uh, truth of all the things that you see and feel, because that's a lot to emotionally process. So a big part of it is being in community and being with others who also recognize and, and feel the same way, have the same levels of perception, and are also able to see the totality of you, that there is a, um, a mutuality or what is it? Um, uh, it's an R word. I'm not coming up with it right now. My brain is a little tired. Um, you know, when you, uh, um, not co-responsibility, but um, reciprocity, there is reciprocity. Yes. <laughs> I see the totality of you and you see the totality of me. And when you live in a society where there is that level of reciprocity, it's a different level of galactic maturity. And you're, you're absolutely right, Nish. That is what humanity is poised on the threshold of becoming that level of maturity. We are just, or humans are just, um, still going through some awkward growth stages just like young people. And then you just got to love them through those awkward growth stages, but also just like teenagers, like they have to have firm boundaries set. So just don't, can't run rampant while you're figuring things out. Well, cool. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. <clears throat> yeah, I put all your links in our description of the show, but uh, is there anything you'd like to plug other, you know, at all? I would love to. Thank you so much. Sure. I have so many artistic and creative and inspiring things to offer to people. So I love conversations like this. And all of this 
anthropomorphic level information goes into my art and music on an abstract level. So I'm an abstract painter. Uh, in the background, if you're watching these videos, you know, um, Jerry and Nish can see that I have all of these paintings. You can find them on my website, which is flyingrainbowlasagna.com. And from the paintings, I make these wonderful clothings out of fabrics and homewares and things. So you can surround yourself with these abstract, basically time maps. And I'm also a musician. My most recent album is really good. I encourage everyone to check it out. It's called Attempted Eradication of a Light Entity. And that's, uh, it's, it, it might be a little bit difficult to find me just by doing keyword search Aurora because there's many singers and bands and symphonies called Aurora. But if you look for either my album, Attempted Eradication of a Light Entity or Birth of the Flying Rainbow Lasagna, I'm on Apple Music, I'm on Spotify. Uh, if you just do a Google search, you will find all of those things. You can also um, find my music by going to my YouTube channel. And my channel is called Flying Rainbow Lasagna. And if you go there, you will find also many, many semesters worth of the live lectures that I did as webinars of my online class that talks a lot about these concepts. And that is also related to an online course that I have available. So you can find my classes there, inspiring videos, links to my music, all of these different things. Things. And um, I also encourage people to connect with me on my Patreon. That's um, linked up on my website because, um, you know, on YouTube, I have a channel, but I don't use it to be able to talk about these things anymore because there is so much censorship and you can't use keywords and you can't say yeah, this, you thanks. can't say that. At this point, and my, and my YouTube channel has been up for like 10 years, so I don't want it to get canned just because I say something about injections or wetware or 5G or whatever. So mostly now my, my YouTube is just for music and it seems like, wow, how bland, like what happened to me? I'm not a Stepford wife, I promise. I'm still me, <laughs> but if you wanna hear the real me, you have to go to my Patreon where I'm much less censored and I share all about my journey of consciousness and all about what's going on with consciousness transformation, uploads, downloads, wetware and injections and everything like that um so yeah thank you so much for giving me an opportunity and i, I encourage people to um connect with me i also i do one-on-one -on -one sessions now and that is also new oh, and great. i focus on um guiding helping inspiring people who are considered to be like star seeds or light workers or clairvoyance people who might feel like they come from a very ethereal realm and do not know how to navigate the barbarian world of <laughs> this place <laughs> wait i can i've been here 20 years i can help so uh, <laughs> you know, I'm jokingly saying it out there, but I'm very serious about that work that I do in terms of offering um, support to other people. That's you great. are beautiful, Aurora. I am so glad we got to commune with you this evening. And I was just enthralled with so much you said and and, and right there with you. I, I just thank you. I look forward to more. Thank you so much, Nish, for that heartfelt. I love you. Thank you. What is your love is received, love is reflected back. Thank you so much. And yeah, thank you to both of you for having me on this podcast. It's been an excellent conversation. Every time I feel like we, our voices are magic, like we're speaking good things mm -hmm. into the world, that this is a, a important reverberation that is happening and that, yeah, we're, we're doing um, important things with this. So thank you for the opportunity so much. Thank you. And thank you everyone for, for listening tonight. It's been a pleasure. I think we're going to go on our holiday hiatus until January because I don't have anything lined up till then. So uh, we'll start season five off with a bang <laughs> and we'll you see. You never know, people. We'll you see never what know. Happens. We might pop up, yeah. but who knows? But as it stands now, we're back in January. Anyway. And in the meantime, though, I, I'm, I'm doing stuff every week over in my show. So yeah. check out Nisha's show. Yes, you can always find me.
But thank you everyone for being here. And Jerry, always a pleasure. I look forward to what we have coming forward. Yes. I think you said Jordan Maxwell's on the Jordan the, Maxwell's on the queue. The pipe. We'll get Rick Miller back and uh, Barsky. We'll, yeah, Barsky for sure. Yeah. So yeah, thank you everyone. And this, whether whatever you want to call tomorrow, I look at it as a time of thanksgiving and i separate it from the stories of the past and move on from that this for me is a time of being grateful for those around us and in the here and now devoid of what's gone on in the past and by being grateful for what's happening with us here and now in our connections that we're making we are creating more we are becoming more than we are uh, individually. And this is the neural network that I want to see happen. We can dream ourselves awake and we can dream another dream. So that's my signing off. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, Nish. Thank you, Aurora, again. And thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you in the future.